The Ambitious Radio Network. Conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Are you an entrepreneur, startup junkie, or just someone interested in improving their leadership skills? If you're looking to be motivated, inspired, and uncover what it takes to get to the next level, listening to Ambitious Radio will be well worth the investment of your time. We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. Now, here's your host, Doug Parker. All right, welcome back to Ambitious Radio Network, and today we've got Bobby Clink with us, and Bobby is a best-selling author and intellectual property attorney who help, helps entrepreneurs, startups, and innovators harness the power of their intellectual property rights and reduce exposure to lawsuits and brand challenges. He's published two books, The Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook. I had to say P a bunch of times. I had to say that almost a tongue twister. And The Patent Litigation Primer. Welcome to the show, Bobby. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. I, I'm wonderful. Evidently, I... I I wanted tongue twisters because I think both of them have lots of peas in them. I'll tell you what, when I was kind of just warming up for the show, I was going through it and I was like, my goodness, blah, 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 blah. I had to get my tongue ready to go. But no, that's good stuff. And, and I'll tell you, you know, whenever you kind of start with the end in mind and you do some of that planning like you're talking about, it's so important. But, but let's do this real quick. Before we just dive straight into the business side of things, tell us a little bit about who you are. Tell us about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in McAllen, Texas, which uh, I should put you on the spot and see if you know where that is. McAllen, Texas. It is in like the uh, the valley, right? You're down there way, way south, right? It is. So I was born and raised five miles from the Mexican border and about 50 miles from the coast. So uh, that's where I spent my formative years, uh, the first 18 years of my life. My uh, family was from down there, um, both my mother's side and family uh, father's side. Uh, my mother's side had been down there longer. My father's side moved down there, I guess, uh, was my grandparents who did. So I was born and raised there, uh, then went to the University of Texas, uh, spent uh, my college years there before moving out of the state of Texas when I was 21. And I, I have been back since, but uh, been a lot of different places since then. I currently live in Washington, D.C. Very good. Very good. Now, so so let me ask you this. So you said you're or from McAllen. Now, do you, do you speak Spanish? Uh, not not as much as I should. Okay. I understand more than I uh, more than I can speak. Uh, I, I I took it in high school. I took it in college. But uh, since then, unfortunately, I just haven't been places where you're speaking it regularly. And it's one of those things. It's a muscle that if you don't actually keep uh, keep practicing, you lose it. And so I, I've definitely lost it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's kind of funny that you say that. A, a really good friend of mine and a mentor of mine that was with Waterburger from 1955 to 1993. And for those that are listening that for whatever reason don't know about Whataburger, it's it's a Texas iconic company. And um, he was with uh, Whataburger from 1955 to 1993. His name is Alan Stoner. And he is from that, well, he's from Ireland, but he came to Corpus Christi in 55 and ran a, uh, a restaurant there in McAllen. Like the first, there was, there was three Whataburgers when he came to town. And so wow. he ran one of those and worked with uh, with the the family to get that all up and running to what it is today. So, yeah, very very good stuff. Now, um, so so let's just kind of talk about growing up. You said you went to you went to UT University of Texas and and you know ultimately you know became an attorney. So let's talk about obstacles in life. Ha- has everything just been uh, you know sunshine and rainbows for you, or have you ever had to overcome anything <laughs> that's been a little difficult? Well, uh, no, everything hasn't been sunshine and rainbows. I doubt anybody is. 
you know, I've, I've had a lot of great uh, things come my way, and I have had a lot of sunshine and rainbows. I was lucky to be born to, uh, you know, a couple of parents who were wonderful parents. My mother was a, a math teacher. My dad uh, owned a chain of drugstores down uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. So it, w- it was a, a good family, a family where I was raised right. I was raised um, with education in mind. Um, they, my dad was not so happy that I became an attorney because he, he's a business person who's had to deal with attorneys in some not so great situations, I'm sure. Um, but so they had both actually gone to the university of Texas. So I started going to Texas football games when I was maybe three years old, spent, um, pretty much my whole childhood going there. Um, and then uh, went there and I went to college knowing already that I wanted to be a lawyer, but I planned to do a double major in uh, mechanical engineering and uh, plan to honors, which is kind of an honors um, humanities program. Uh, so I started, did one semester of that, and then realized that was going to mean five years of college with four uh, years of summer school. And I wanted to be a lawyer, so I said, why am I going to do that? So I, I actually changed and did uh, kind of a double major within humanities and liberal arts and, and ended up spending three years there um, and uh, two summers before going on to law school. Um, and I went, to, I went to Harvard Law School uh, in Boston outside of Cambridge, and that was uh, quite a, an eye-opening experience. I was a Texas boy, 21 years old at the time. Literally, I graduated high school, I th- or sorry, college, three year, three weeks after I turned 21. And then went straight to law school up in Boston. And uh, have you seen the movie Legally Blonde? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, most of that movie is, is complete fiction, but there's one part that rings true. Uh, if you remember that movie, when she first gets to Harvard Law School, she's sitting in this small group of people introducing themselves and talking about what they had done. And one has a PhD and the other one has a master's and someone else had spent four years doing some amazing thing. That's true. So I was the boring person when I went to law school. And it it was uh, quite an eye-opening experience because it was the first time I was, I don't want to say the underdog, but I was not kind of the person who was automatically at the top. And so that was an an interesting experience. And this is a roundabout way of answering your question of challenges. Uh, The biggest challenge that I faced during that period of my life was um, when I was about to start my third and final year at law school, uh, my father and my uncle were in a plane crash uh, right outside of San Antonio. Um, they they had their own plane and were personal pilots, and um, they were both severely burned and taken to the Brook Army Medical Center, um, which was uh, – it's in San Antonio. They have a, one of the premier burn units. And I got a call. Um, it was – about eight or nine o'clock at night. I answered the phone and the first words that came through were, they're okay. And as you can imagine, that's never a good beginning to a conversation. Um, But those were the first words. Um, I then got a call a couple of hours later from my brother, who was the first person I think who had actually gotten to the facility because he lived in Austin at the time. And the report I got from him was, that my uncle was unlikely to make it through the night. So um, I jumped on a plane the next day, got down to San Antonio, and I spent the next, I think, two months there. My dad ultimately did pull through. Um, He was burned over, I think it was 45% of his body, and um, he was 50-something years old at the time. 
And uh, if you talk to folks uh, in burn units, they'll tell you that your chance of survival is you take your age, add the percentage of your body that you're burned on, and then subtract that from 100. And that tells you your chance. Uh, he had about a 2% chance of survival, um, but he made it through. But it meant I spent that first semester of my third year in law school um, effectively not in school. I was having to do everything from afar. I was also at the time in a very um, elite competition, what's called moot court, where you do these mock appellate arguments before actual judges. And the one at Harvard is one of the most prestigious. It's all internal. And we were finalists that year. And I was one of the um, people who'd be giving the argument, uh, but also had to write briefs. So I was gone. I flew back basically right in time to work with my team to write our brief. Then I flew back down to Texas. Um, and then flew back, I don't know, maybe a week before the argument and uh, participated in that. So that uh, semester was the first the first time in my life that I really faced um, unbelievable challenges of having to try to balance a bunch of different aspects, personal life, um, family life, along with um, my uh, professional life, which at the time was being a student. And that shaped my understanding of, of how you have to work, um, in life and how you have to be able to balance those things throughout your life. Uh, so that was, um, an eye-opening semester an eye-opening experience. And, um, it has, uh, really shaped the person I am today. Sure. You know, and, and that's, that's some pretty heavy stuff. And, and I bring that up because sometimes, you know, I, I know when I was looking through the kind of interview notes, if you will, and, and kind of looking, I say, I'm a, a guy from Harvard. That, that's pretty cool. And, you know, when you're talking about how, you know, you had kind of, you know, people don't get into Harvard because they've, they've uh, you know, sloughed off th their whole life. You know, they, they're most of the time they're pretty talented, pretty sharp people. And you're going somewhere where it's it's a different environment than you've ever been in before because everybody is as good as you are or most are as 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 you as it were, and so you know my daughter just recently went off to college a couple of years back and that was one of the things that we looked at it was from an athletic standpoint but we looked at some of the elite athletic programs and and she could have gotten into them but one of the coaches was like look she'll get to get on the track and run and have you know have fun but she probably won't be real competitive. And most of the time, she's probably going to get her doors blown off. And then the D2 schools where she'll get to compete and do this, that, and the other. And the D3 schools were drooling over getting her. And, you know, it's kind of like this, where do you go? But it was kind of a consideration like that. She had always been pretty good everywhere she had gone. And, you know, it was a, it was a real consideration because there's a lot of kids, from what I hear, they go to these places like Harvard or Yale or, or all these Ivy League type schools, and they get there. And they did. They don't fare as well as you did. They're like, I'm not a superstar anymore. I'm average, and they don't know how to take that. So, um, can you just elaborate a little bit on kind of what that was like? That feeling of, you know, because you probably go there thinking that, you know, your whole life has been this way. Why would it not be that way at the next level? Do you ever have anything that you remember that's like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was going to be? Well, see, actually, my experience was the opposite. Um, my experience was going up there, although I. I I'm someone who tends to have uh, self-confidence, uh, and and my my high school friends would laugh at that and say I have a big head, but I've never doubted myself. But going to Harvard, I have to admit, I thought, wow, I'm going to Harvard. Uh, and again, I, I was a guy. I had grown up. I went to public schools my whole life. Went to the University of Texas. Graduated with honors at the University of Texas, but you know, I, I didn't have this prestigious background. I hadn't gone to the prep schools or any of those things. 
And so I had this view in mind that that's what Harvard was. And I was a bit nervous. But candidly, after I was there for about a week, it just became school again. And I felt in my element, um, luckily, I just I took to law and I took to the way that law is taught. And so I did well and I felt confident uh, the whole time. It, it also helped that in high school, I had been in various events that required public speaking. I was in debate, had won the state debate uh, championship in high school. I was in mock trial, which is basically you pretending to do a trial of, of criminal or civil case. And then uh, there was another uh, uh, program that my high school did that's uh, basically a competition where you learn about the Constitution and then do these mock Senate panels about it. So I, I had done all of that in high school. So I felt very comfortable in myself in doing those things. So I think because of that, I felt comfortable once I got there and it was just, hey, let's analyze a problem and let's talk about it. And that's really what you do in law school. And it's it's as much about self-confidence and being comfortable, being put on the spot as anything else. And so I really did feel comfortable from the get-go. I mean, looking back, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I was, um, you know, I was a, a law school classmate with uh, Senator Tom Cotton, for example. So, you know, I have a lot of amazing people that were around me, um, the, the Castro brothers. Um, uh, those, the, they were, I think, a year ahead of me or two years ahead of me. But again, I was with people like that who are now, you know, people that everybody knows who are in public service, and it, it was amazing. But it really was just school. And so it, it quickly became that, and it was a wonderful experience that way. Cool, cool. So we'll jump into a, a couple more, not necessarily personal questions, but before we just dive into business in the next segment, uh, let's talk about you know favorite books maybe that either you've gifted the people or just one of the, one of the books that you're currently going through that you really like. Well, I would say the book that I like to, to, to point out to people is Living Forward, which is about creating a life plan. Uh, it's about understanding and remembering in a sense that we work not to work um, and, and to understand what our priorities are. And I, and I think it's especially important for entrepreneurs and business people to keep that in mind because too often we just get so focused on the next project, the next uh, accomplishment, the next milestone without remembering. And again, I, I'm married with a three-year-old daughter right now. Um, uh, you know, I work – that's not my first priority. My first priority is my family. And so understanding that and having a plan that actually reminds me of that is important. And that's what the book teaches you to do is to go about kind of creating the different categories and, and how you want to be remembered and then um, uh, ranking them in a sense, but also then um, setting your goals for each one of those categories. So I think it's a, an important book that helps people understand uh, you know, how to really plan their lives, not just their businesses. Sure, sure. And, you know, you've had some success, there's no question about it, and you've got, you know, self-confidence. And, and, I'm, and I'm saying that in a in a very positive way because there's a lot of people that they have, a, they just don't have self-confidence. And they, they really are perfectly capable of getting anything done needs to get done, but they don't have that. Um, but w what would you say is one of the personal habits that's most contributed to your success? I think the, the most important personal habit that I have that contributes to my success is, well, I, currently I would say it's daily meditation. And I think that's really important 
given the profession I'm in, because I'm in a profession where much of my day is spent fighting with other people. <laughs> and so, you know, being centered and being calm is important in that, or I probably would have burned out. I probably um, would lose it if I didn't do that. So I, I think right now that is an important, uh, one of my most important habits. But more broadly, I would say uh, having an unquenchable thirst for knowledge. And it doesn't have to be education in the sense of going and taking university courses or reading heavy textbooks or anything like that, but always wanting to learn and to, to learn a new skill. And, and when I became an entrepreneur, for example, it was learning about sales and marketing and things that most lawyers don't know anything about. And so I think that has been a big part of my success as well. Got it. Makes perfect sense there. And and we're going to get a little bit more because I want to know about that daily meditation in the last segment when we yeah. talk about recharging and those kind of things, because I hear that from a lot of successful people. I'm not great at it, but I do hear about it a lot. Now, I want to get some more information. And after we hear a brief word from our sponsors, we'll dive into that just a little bit more. And, and listeners, if you like what you're hearing, if you maybe miss the title of a book or one of those kind of things, you can always go back and reference the show notes. And you can just type in Bobby and, and search for for him and it'll definitely pull up his page and we'll have all that on there tune in after a brief word from our sponsors when we're talking more with bobby clink about his career pursuits his experience of becoming an ambitious entrepreneur and how he helps others with their careers as well right here on the ambitious radio network This is Doug Parker, and I have been working with loan officers for over two decades. And if you're looking for a new mortgage, I want to introduce you to Jeff Janash. He's with Town Square Mortgage. This guy's got programs for every situation, whether you're self-employed, you need down payment assistance, a cash-out refinance for debt consolidation. They can even do jumbo loans with 10% down. Rates are very competitive. Their service exceeds expectations. They're two-time five-star professional award winner. Very quick turnarounds. They can actually get loans closed in three weeks. A great program to be part of if you want to get in, get out. Don't want to play a bunch of games. These guys are here local and can take really good care of you. I've known Jeff for many, many years, and he's actually available after hours. Give Jeff Janash a call, 972-292-7599, or you can go to tsmlending.com. That's tsmlending.com. T like town, S for square, M for mortgage, lending.com. Town Square Mortgage, 17300 Dallas Parkway, Suite 1030, Dallas, Texas, 75248. NMLS ID, 169224. Right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and we've got Bobby Clink, and we're going to talk a little bit about his professional you know, adventures. We, we talked about he, he went to school at Harvard, he's an attorney, he's an entrepreneur, he's written a couple of different books. And so let, let's talk a little bit. I mean, how do you derive the majority of your income right now? What What's the focus of your business? My business right now... I comes from and almost all of the revenue comes from clients that I serve and, and I do uh, client service in a couple of different ways uh, or a couple of different focuses I should say part of it is advising startups uh, small businesses entrepreneurs on how to create an intellectual property plan basically how to create a strategy for their business um, to make sure they're protecting their 
um, their valuable assets, but also to make sure they're minimizing the risk that they're going to get sued by somebody else. The other part of my business is representing uh, clients in um, in lawsuits involving intellectual property. Those are very consuming. I think I mentioned um, before the break about uh, being in fights with people, and so that that's where I'm in fights with people all day, every day. So that's where I, I get my revenue currently. Okay, so so let's talk about a, a real situation. You know, somebody goes out, they're an entrepreneur, and let's just say they they really are a truly an honest individual. They're not trying to rip anybody off. They had something pop in their head that they thought was uh, a cool idea and they, they just kind of run with it. Um, can you give us a, a real time example of, of something that seems innocent enough? It, you don't, you're not dealing with somebody that's a ripoff artist, but then how, because they didn't prepare properly, how they kind of got stepped into or how they stepped into a bear trap on that? Yeah, sure can. The, the, the biggest mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make and businesses make uh, relates to trademark issues. And if you think about it, it's not surprising this happens. To, to give you a little bit of background in case your listeners uh, aren't uh, lawyers, which I suspect they're not, uh, a trademark is a, a type of intellectual property that defines the source of a good or service. So the Coca-Cola name is a trademark, for example. Um, it's basically a name, a logo, a slogan, anything that essentially says, hey, this product or service is coming from this company or this um, provider. And I would suggest any entrepreneur, you should trademark your name and you should get a federal trademark. It's relatively inexpensive. It'll cost you probably about 500 bucks between getting someone to file it for you and actually paying the fee. So that's not a, a, an expensive endeavor, but that's not the big mistake because you actually get trademark rights through common law. So if you're in the Dallas area and you start using a name and, and you're actually conducting business under that name, you start to get some common law rights to use that name. The problem that most people or the mistake most people make is they don't go through the steps of making sure they can actually use the name. And I'll, I'll give you a real world example from where I am in um, the Washington, D.C. area. I happen to be a, a craft beer nerd. I, I brew beer for fun. Um, and so I follow the, the craft beer industry around here. Well, the first craft brewery here in D.C. was D.C. Brow. And they had, I think, three. They've always had three flagship beers. One of them is called The Citizen. And uh, some years later, let's say four or five years after that uh, brewery was founded, another small startup brewery uh, was being founded about five miles away, just in a suburb, the first suburb out in Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C. And they named their brewery Citizen Brewing Company. And how it escaped them that D.C. Brow was not going to like them using their a name that they were using in commerce um, escapes me, but they didn't. And it actually led to a, a small dispute. It got resolved without any litigation or any lawsuits, but they had already gone public with the name. Then they got a letter from D.C. Brow's attorneys, and so they had to change their name to Denizen Brewing, so it actually worked out without too much difficulty. But they had definitely spent some time, spent some money in developing their name and developing their brand and then had to change it. And I see that over and over and over again. So you need to check and make sure you can use the name. That's an example where I don't know. I think they just didn't think about the issue, but you should do a couple of simple things. One, go to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office's website and you can run a search to see if anyone has actually registered your name. But beyond that, and this is a simple one, go onto Google, type in the name and see if anybody else is using it. If no one else is using it, great, use it, you're fine. If someone else is, 
then you might need to talk to a lawyer or maybe, you know, don't pay someone like me money, just come up with another name. Um, but that, that's the biggest error I see people make over and over again. And that's a good one because when, you know, as a, just a lay person, I look at that and I think that that's not even the same thing. I mean, you got one of them that their company name is something to do with a citizen. Another one that their one of their beers is called citizen and they just happen to both be in the beer business. But I guess there's enough similarity to where it, it kind of creates an issue. Well, and here's the thing, honestly, I don't know who would have won if they would have fought it out. But the fact is, if you're a, a startup or a small new business, you can't afford to fight. Well, and so you're not going to be in a position to actually be able to fight it. So you need to to think about these things to avoid a fight. I'll tell you who would have won the fight, the attorneys, because they always well, get paid true. on both sides. I'm just giving you a hard yeah, time true. because you're an attorney. But um, no, seriously, though, that's the, you're, I think you're right there because it's it's sometimes it's easier just to kind of stop the bleeding and, and do something different. But um, potentially there they could have, you know, prevented that exposure from the beginning if they had jumped in there and done that. Now, um, let's dive in also and let's talk about, you know, in business, you know, failure. We talked about, you know, going to Harvard and some of the obstacles and some of the things personally. Do you have a favorite failure, something that you learned massively from over the years, whether it was you personally or or one of your clients? I I do. And I learned it personally. Um, And and let me give you some backstory to give you a sense of, of how I got there. Well, when I came out of law school after working for a judge for a year, I worked at big law firms um, or bigger law firms that represented bigger clients, including as a side note, um, uh, because this may be of interest to, to listeners these days. Uh, one of my mentors at one of those firms was Neil Gorsuch, now known as Judge Gorsuch, maybe soon to be known as Justice Gorsuch. So I, I had that pleasure of working for him, but I'd worked at these big law firms. And then I, I kind of chafed because I, I knew something wasn't quite right for me there. I thought it was I wanted more experience, more tasks. I learned later it was actually the entrepreneurial spirit. I wanted more control over my destiny, et cetera. But at the time, I thought it was I just wanted to be the one who got to stand up and do things and make arguments. So then I I from there went and became a federal prosecutor down in Fort Worth, Texas, um, where I, I spent three years wonderful experience, got to get up every day in court, uh, argue, got to get up repeatedly and say, you know, my name is Robert Clink. I represent the United States of America. It's a pretty good experience. Um, (laughs) as I was coming out of that job though, I was coming back to Washington DC and I had to decide what to do. And the, the, uh, firm where I had been before, which is a bigger firm, is about a 50 or 60 person firm, represented clients, big clients and big matters. They, offered uh, for me to go back, but I I wasn't sure if I wanted to go that route. So I also looked around and I I found a small firm. At the time, it was three lawyers, two partners, and one, a woman is called of counsel, which just meant she kind of worked on an as-needed basis. Um, I interviewed with them. It was entrepreneurial. It was... um, uh, it was, you know, everything I wanted and it sounded great. I was going to get great experience, but also I was going to help build the thing up. The firm had only been around a couple of years. And so I joined and I joined, I was called a partner, but I was not actually a partner. I was not in the partnership agreement. Um, I was, um, under a different agreement. I had this letter that essentially said I would get, you know, a certain salary, but I understood I'd only get paid when the firm had money. And I understood the firm didn't have money at the time, didn't have regular cash flow. So that was the only agreement we ever signed. And then I stayed there for about four years and, and we operated under this, 
uh, it was a pretty equitable sharing. I, I had no complaints. They treated me fairly. The two partners who'd been there a little longer, they got a little bit more than me, but not a lot. Um, but we hadn't yet had any big, huge hits. And we had some cases that might go that way. Um, but also during lean years, I, you know, it was lean for me. So then fast forward, I guess I'd been there at the time I'd been there about three and a half years and my wife got pregnant. And I said, you know, we need to actually formalize this. I need to become part of the partnership agreement because the problem was I was in the situation where, you know, if we had a bad year, I could make nothing. And if we had this huge year, I wasn't entitled to anything other than this, you know, whatever the salary was. And so I, I wanted to formalize it. Well, that was in the summer and I kind of raised it with him. I figured we'd formalize it around the end of the year because just for tax purposes, et cetera, it'd be easier if it was around year end. So it kind of didn't get discussed much until the end of the year. We talked about it briefly then, didn't come to much resolution. And, and one of the partners actually didn't live in town. He lived somewhere else. He was in town in late February for something unrelated. And I was taking him to the airport. And as we were walking out of the office to my car, he brought up the subject and we started talking. And I, sitting here today, I don't even remember what the offer was. But the offer that was made to me um, it kind of made my jaw hit the, the ground at the time because I didn't think it was fair, whatever percentage it was that they were going to give me. And also, I'd been the administrative partner for the last year, so I knew what our revenue was, so I could translate it in my mind to what it would have meant. Um, and, and it would have been a significant pay cut and all these other issues. And so um, it didn't sit well with me. I dropped him off the airport. We talked along the way. I, you know, uh, we talked about those issues. Uh, called my wife right as he got uh, right after he got out of, of the car. She could tell I was not in a good place. Said, "I need you to come home right now to give me an excuse to not go back to the office because it was a Friday." And so I went home and I was stewing about it that night. And the next morning I woke up and by the way, I actually registered a tri uh, registered the domain name that night and filed for a corporation that night um, that ultimately became my company because I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So the next morning I, I emailed um, my two partners and I said, look, you know, this isn't sitting well, I, you know, I think we should talk rather than just letting me stew. And we couldn't set up a time that, that day, but we set up a time on uh, the following day, Sunday. Um, the, the, we got on that phone call and it ended up being a very painful, uh, phone call that caused all kinds of problems because the difficulty is at that point, each side was trying to explain their value and some of it bled over to why the other people were not as valuable. Um, and it, it, you know, there were, you know, some comments made that were not helpful that didn't uh, lead to things, um, to the point that when I got off that phone call, um, holding my, at the time, two month old baby, I told my wife and my brother-in-law who was at my house, let's go to my office. I need to get my stuff. So we literally went to my office that night, packed up all my personal belongings and I left my key because I knew it was over. Mm. Um, and it's, it's unbelievably painful even now when I talk about it because one of those partners and we have, you know, we have um, repaired things now years later, but one of those partners, to give you a sense, literally flew through Hurricane Sandy to get to my wedding in the Bahamas. 
And then we have this situation that essentially fractured our relationship. And this is something I see entrepreneurs do over and over and over again. They don't get things in writing. And so that's why one of the first pieces of advice I give to entrepreneurs is get it in writing. If it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. If my partners and I had had a written agreement at the beginning about how I would ultimately become a partner in the partnership agreement, et cetera, we would have been on the same page. There wouldn't have been any hurt feelings. But because we didn't, we had to try to have that negotiation at a time when it's not helpful to have that negotiation. And that happens to business people every day of the week and, and I see it and it never ends well. So, you know, lesson I learned is always, especially with a partnership agreement or an employment agreement, get it in writing and have the details set out in writing from the get go. You know, and just to add a little bit to that, you know, the, the, the reality is that whenever you're talking about something, you can, you can say one thing and, and leave thinking two different things, even though it was agreed upon, you know, on a handshake or whatever. And, and one of the things that I've done over the years is, Hey, let's at least, it didn't have to be a big formal, you know, attorney reviewed agreement necessarily. Sometimes there's obviously situations for that, but you know, Hey, put the basics down and then that way you can leave there and both people can say, yep, that's what I understood it to mean. Yep. That's what I understood it to mean. And at least there's more details and context. And if you do have to, you know, later on down the road, if there's a conflict, you can look at it and at least there's something to base it on as opposed to what you feel like you heard from three or four years ago. And, and then the emotion, as you talked about, because times change and people have different feelings. They may have thought a certain way, or you may have thought a certain way all those years back, but something soured and then, or, you know, whatever the case is. And it just, it really tears things up whenever those things happen. Uh, let me ask you one more, one more quick question. And, and that doesn't have to be a quick answer, but just a quick question. Um, you know, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, just, you know, one thing at any time in your life, what would you tell yourself? And kind of at what point in your life would you have told yourself that? Well, so I would have gone, I would go back to when I was first becoming a lawyer and I, I I'm going to give two pieces of advice, not one. Okay. Um, the first piece of advice I would say is you have to know your why. That was a big part of my problem is it took me many years as a lawyer before I found what my actual purpose was and what I wanted to be doing. And once I did discover it, it was this eureka moment and it uh, fundamentally changed how I felt about being a lawyer, et cetera. So that's the one big, uh, the first piece I would say. And again, that's for business people. You've, you've heard that a million times, you know, start with why uh, you have to do that. The next piece of advice I would have given myself is that I would have told myself that I always had to be in charge of my own career. Even when I was working at another company, when I was working for someone else, I should have always acted under the assumption that I had to build my own career and I was always an entrepreneur. I always had to um, make um, make my own way in business and build my own business. Too many people, and especially lawyers who work at big firms, which is how I started, there's almost this false safety that you don't have to be uh, creating, creating your own business because you've got a paycheck coming in. Well. You know, if, if you're not building a business and if you're not actually building clients in any kind of service industry, you're going to be the first one to go if times get tough. Uh, 
So you always have to be building a business regardless of whether, you know, you're at a, at a company as an employee or running your own business. You've got to be taking charge of your own life. Mm, that, that's really, really great advice. And you know, like I said, no matter what position you're in, that's one of the things, you know, whether we've, I've been through a couple of uh, cycles of the economy in my career and, and probably, I don't know, it was maybe in the uh, 90s, my wife asked me at one of the, uh, one of the downturns, she, she was like, um, are, are you worried? I'm like, I'm really not worried. I mean, the cream always rises to the top. I'll just outwork everybody, and I'm in a sales-type environment. So as long as there's somebody selling something and making money doing it, then I promise you I'm going to be in the competition. So at the end of the day, that's something that, that really you know resonates where you've got to be out there making things happen. Always operate like you're an entrepreneur. And if this Zig Ziglar was a mentor of mine. I've said it a million times here on the show. But Zig you know, used to say that um, if you do more than what you get paid for, eventually you get paid more for what you do. <laughs> And, you know, that's really kind of what you're saying there is, hey, do what you're supposed to be doing make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're bringing revenue in and the, the revenue generators are, are typically the last to get cut. It's, it's the administrative or the, you know, the expense line item people that get cut, not necessarily the, uh, the ones that are bringing the cash, you know, cash in. So that's great, great information for our ambitious listeners. And guys, if you're liking what you're hearing, you can subscribe by texting the word ambitious to 69922. That's 69922. Standard messaging rates do apply. So see the website for more details. Next, we're going to be talking more to Bobby about the ambitious things that really he's doing now and what's next for him because he is an attorney but is also an entrepreneur talking about that right here on the ambitious video Network. RepairMyCreditNow.com story. It's a day this family had dreamed of for quite some time. They were finally getting that brand new SUV. The salesperson at the auto dealership gave them the keys and told them to take it for the weekend. He'd prepared the documents and called them Monday morning. The kids had already installed the headrest DVD when the phone rang. Seems there was a problem with their credit they were unaware of. They'd have to return the SUV to the dealership immediately. Embarrassing to say the least. www.repairmycreditnow.com Hello, this is Doug Parker with RepairMyCreditNow.com. Do you have less than perfect credit, a repo, maybe some late payments, a collection account? Are they being reported accurately? Studies show that over 70% of Americans have inaccuracies on their credit reports. Where do you fit in? Go to RepairMyCreditNow.com for your free credit report evaluation. And remember, your credit is your future. If you want to get started now, log on now. RepairMyCreditNow.com RepairMyCreditNow.com www.RepairMyCreditNow.com All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and we've got Bobby Clink with us today. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm loving learning about the things that they're fundamentals. There's, there's nothing I'm hearing that's like, oh, my goodness, that's an aha moment. It's very fundamental, but so many people just don't do it. And it can be very, very expensive if you don't you know, do the things you're supposed to do. So make sure you, know, you get an attorney, you review things, you don't go out there and use other people's intellectual property, but then also that you protect yours. But let's talk, uh, Bobby, a little bit about what's next for you. I mean, I know you've written a couple books. And um, is that something where you enjoy writing or was it just kind of something that came naturally to you? How, how did you write a couple of books and, and are you planning on writing more? Well, so as a lawyer, I, I spend well, so most people have a glamorized view of what lawyers do. Most of what I do is I read, I think and I write. And that's just the nature of the business. So writing does in some sense come naturally to me now. I mean, it took a while. It wasn't until 
um, college and law school, I guess, where it really became natural. Um, uh, writing books, it, it started, I was just going to write this short little book about patent litigation. And I say a book, it wasn't going to be a book. It was going to be like a pamphlet that I could give my clients and prospective clients to help them understand the process. Because I've always found that an educated client is is a much better client. So that was what what started. And I don't know what I had in mind with how many pages it would be, but the problem is it's such a uh, such a, a complicated or such a, a serious topic that it just required a lot of work and it required a lot of, of writing. And so I kept writing and kept writing and it ended up being about 200 pages long. So I published it as a book rather than as a pamphlet. Um, so that was the first book. The second book was much more focused and and having a thought very specifically about what I was doing uh, and trying to help the marketplace, not just my clients. Uh, My goal was to create a shorter, not short, but a shorter book that entrepreneurs could use, pick up and understand, do what's called issue spotting in a sense, see what are the issues they need to be thinking about with respect to their intellectual property and are they doing it or not? And then give them an overview of how they would go about creating a plan or a strategy to handle these issues. So that's the Entrepreneur's IP Planning Playbook. It's about um, 75 pages long. It's you know meant to be something to give you an idea of what you need to be thinking about and, and getting you there. So that was the idea for that. Um, I, I give both of the, the books away. People can buy them on Amazon, but I also give them PDFs for free on my website if, if anybody will give me their, their email address um, because my goal is to get people educated. Um, I'm, I'm never going to make money selling uh, intellectual property books. I, I know that much. Um, that's not uh, a cash cow. Um, I have some other projects. I, I'm working on a bigger, more ambitious book about um, intellectual property strategy that would kind of be, I don't want to call it a, you know, a Bible, but a much bigger, uh, tome that would help people understand things and understand all of the different issues and the value. Um, but I'm also working on some, uh, non written work. I'm working on putting together an online course that people can take that the idea being for folks who can't afford or or don't want to afford maybe, uh, hiring a lawyer to do it. They can at least, you know, take an online course, get the information, get some forms, get the the paperwork they're going to need, um, to actually do this themselves. Very good. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, this is a little bit of a curveball. So I know that asking it, and if you don't have the answer real quick, not not the end of the world, but if you could do a TED Talk or maybe even just present to a, a group of young folks or just entre- young entrepreneurs, but it's not to do with necessarily your expertise as an IP uh, attorney. Do you have anything that you that you really are passionate about that you'd like to, uh, to, to talk to folks about? Well, I think... I- it wouldn't be specifically about IP, but it would be the theme that I try to teach people generally, which is that a couple of hours of planning up front can avoid months of pain later on. And so uh, I stress that in my business, but also in other parts of my life. And so I think that's the the message that I would give and whether it's a TED talk or anything else that, you know, you have to make the commitment to do the planning up front and it can be hard because we're all busy and you know, for me, taking three, four hours out of my week is tough. But, you know, I can either take three or four hours out of my week now, 
or I risk having to, to spend months um, and suffer a lot of pain and suffering a couple of months from now, a year from now, two years from now. So that's the message I would give to folks. Okay. And let me ask you this. So for example, I mean, obviously we use the, the scenario of a name and it, and it being a business name that was similar to someone else's and it kind of ruffled some feathers and they ultimately changed it. But are there any practical things that are maybe not business related that, that you would apply that to as well? I would apply it, apply it to your life. Um, so again, I think you, I mentioned before living forward and creating a life plan and the process is not easy to create a life plan. You, you really have to dedicate at least a whole day sometime to really do it. Um, but it helps you recenter and know what you're doing in life. And so again, especially for, um, business people, it can be so easy to start taking things for granted in our personal lives and to forget about um, the things we really care about and to lose our way. I mean, I, I, I've had times where I got too focused on the next marketing, the next sales, the next um, you know project, and I have unquestionably not been a good husband as a result. And so taking the time to, to create a plan for your life, forget your business. You know, if you do it right now, and, and again, it can be simple things. It can be, you know, sending a text message to my wife that tells her how much I love her or why I love her and why I appreciate her. Those kinds of things that take very little time, but you have to remember to do it. And if you do it consistently now, you know, I, I can't guarantee, obviously, that we're not going to have a fight later, but it's going to make it much less likely that we're going to, you know, become estranged and, and, and then try to have to rekindle a relationship in a much more significant way later. So that's another example of it. Just, you know, every day, you know, hit your singles. Don't try to, to you know, hit home runs every day. I, I think that will help you as well. Sure. And, you know, I was actually at church the other day and our pastor was talking about the reality is is people talk about work life balance and it's 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 not not that it's not possible but it's very difficult because you you know you need to give 100% to your family but you need to give 100% to your job and that's 200% it didn't work that way so if you're if you're giving all the time and attention to your family that you probably technically need to your work is going to be upset with you. If you give all of your time and effort to your work, your family's going to be upset with you. So little things like you said, it's a practical, maybe sending a little text, uh, maybe balancing it out in that, hey, you know, two nights a week or, or whatever, I'm going to be late. And, and you plan for it, but two or three nights a week, I'm going to be home at whatever time for dinner so that there's at least a plan so that you mm -hmm. can make some sacrifices and, and you're giving 100% in that time frame uh, while you're while you're doing it and then you can you know unplug and do some of the other stuff and when it's not an emergency if you will because I've I, I, like you and not proud of it at all I mean I, I work 80 90 hours a week right now and it's way too much but it's it's a cycle uh, of life that 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 uh, that I'm doing and, and there was a time where I've never worked less than 60 hours a week and that's too much but it's just the it's just i guess just how i roll you know and so some people are better at it than others i don't know when i hear honestly until until recently when i started listening to tim ferris's podcast <laughs> when i heard the 4 hour work week i never even wanted to read a book I, that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard of in my life <laughs> now now that i know who he is and what he's all about it's not even about working 4 hours uh, a week but i thought i'm not even going to read that stupid book because that's crazy um, you can't, you cannot get a job done in four hours. I can't get a job right. done in 40, but, right. uh, but anyway, it's, it's, it's interesting how, how those things happen. And, you know, so let, let's talk about mentoring and, and people that, 
you kind of you know look to. I mean, obviously, you've been around some very influential individuals over your life. You, you've you've talked about a couple of them, but is there anyone currently that you're following or that's mentoring you? And if so, who are they and why? Well, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's no one that's mentoring me presently, um, but I do follow a lot of people, and I I, I follow people strangely who have not. And I say it's not it's not strange. I don't follow lawyers. That was one of the mistakes I made early on, and and it's one of the mistakes that way too many lawyers make. Um, so many lawyers try to t- just talk to other lawyers and learn from other lawyers, which that's great. That that'll help you understand your technical skills. But um, I follow and I um, try to learn from entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurship podcasts that are out there. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of them that obviously people can uh, people would know about. One of the first ones that really got got me was EO Fire with John Lee Dumas, just because it's this great opportunity to listen to people every day, you know, kind of going through the same questions and and providing you insights on how you can make your life better. So I listen to that pretty consistently. Uh, I listen to um, um, Entree Leadership uh, podcast. Um, anytime I find myself spending too much money, I will listen to the Dave Ramsey podcast to, to, you know, bring myself back down to life. That's not really business, but, um, you know, so I, I listen to people like that, um, because that's, uh, the grounding I need. That's the information I need. Um, and so that, that's where I focus my efforts right now. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned those two, because when I first started doing this show, I was like, you know, I really want to do something with a podcast as well and, and keep it, you know, there's the radio part of it. And then I want to kind of have an uncut continued version. And those were two, you know, the, the podcast that the, the entree leadership, which is, is part mm-hmm. of Dave Ramsey's organization. And then, uh, OJLD, uh, yep. the entrepreneur on fire, you know, I listen to that and there's, and it's every single day is lots of great, great information. And, and, I did some of the modeling for what we're doing based upon on those shows. And so that was, uh, it's, it's, it's a small world how these things kind of keep coming around full circle. So uh, very, very good information and, and ambitious times here. I mean, after we hear another brief word from our sponsors, we've got one more segment with Bobby. And I can't wait to hear what he does to him. charge with ambitious body, mind, and spirit. Right here, ambitious radio network. Are you tired of paying too much for electricity from the former monopolies and getting terrible customer service? Do you really even know how much you're paying per kilowatt? Sometimes they quote you a lower rate, but then add back in the delivery charge. Ugh, how frustrating. Go to electricity.guru, that's right, .guru, for your free analysis. Who knows, with just a few referrals, you could actually earn free electricity. If you're tired of paying outrageous electricity bills, do something about it. Would you like to get a significant discount or even get free electricity? Go to electricity.guru and compare our rates to what you're currently paying. Many of our clients are saving anywhere from 15 to 20%. We also have a referral program that allows you to earn free electricity. Yes, free electricity. And you cannot beat free cents per kilowatt. Award-winning service, competitive rates, and low deposits, if even required. Go to electricity.guru for more details. That's electricity.guru. We offer free energy credits to customers who refer and activate 15 or more qualified customers to our electricity service and are not passing on their bill. To get your free energy credit, your customers must be referred through the free customer gathering website. See electricity.guru for more details. Right today we're talking to Bobby Clint. He's a successful author. He's working on all kinds of stuff. He's an entrepreneur. He's an attorney. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, I tell you what. So now is a segment where it's not so much business related. It, it's all the things that business takes out of you. How do you put it back into your life? So how is it that you recharge your ambitious body, mind, and spirit? Are there are there things that you do? I know you talked a little bit about the uh, meditation. You know, in the first segment, can you can you talk a little bit more about that and what exactly you do? Yeah. So I meditate daily. Um, I use it. I use the Calm app. That just is what I happened to choose um, when I uh, first started meditation. Um, it, it's got some various day courses that will help you kind of understand it. But then they come out with a new daily meditation every day, which is 10 minutes. Um, and a lot of people, I think, have a false idea about what meditation is. They think that um, to meditate properly, you have to sit there and literally not have any thoughts go through your mind. And that that's fundamentally not what meditation is. Meditation is um, about trying to calm your thoughts and center yourself. But it's also about um, noticing your thoughts and then letting them go rather than, than sitting there and fixating on them. Um, so that's what I do. I tend to do about 20 minutes every morning. There's the, the 10 minute daily meditation. And then I will pick one of the others. Uh, some are called a body scan where you focus on various parts of your body and, and really just focusing on, well, what am I feeling at, in that part of my body? Um, and then there are various other ones that I'll do as well. But the point is just to start with something that calms me and keeps me uh, in a centered place. So that's why I do meditation. That's It's a daily habit and it's a daily practice really. It's not a habit. It's every day you're practicing and as you do it, it, it gets easier and easier I would say. Um, when you first start, it can be hard to sit still for five minutes um, and, and you, you blame yourself for thinking and as you do it, you get to the point that it's easier and easier to let things go and to focus on your breathing and um, to just sit there in quiet um, restfulness. So that's my biggest daily habit. Um, there are other things I do. Um, I think I mentioned that uh, I, I'm a bit of a beer nerd. I actually brew my own beer. So that's one of the things I do to recharge um, on the weekends when I have time. Um, and so that's that's an enjoyable hobby, I guess, that I have. Uh, other than that, it, it's mainly spending time with my uh, my wife, my daughter, and then I've got uh, two dogs that keep me quite busy. Very good. Now, so brewing beer, you know, I, I know nothing at all about it, but in just a little a, a little blip, I mean, what does it take to brew beer? Well, so, I mean, you can brew beer pretty easily if you want to start with kits and they have syrups and things like that. But um, what I do, you start from the grain, um, you basically create a recipe, and a lot of people just uh, we use other people's recipes, but I've always, always really created my own. And it's not that I'm doing anything crazy or wacky or out of the ordinary. I'm actually just um, a very uh, European in my style of beer. Um, <laughs> my, my, my ancestors are German, and not surprisingly, my beer taste is as well. I, I tend to uh, brew very much to that style where it's about creating a, a very balanced beer that's very drinkable. Um, but so I start with the grain. You create a recipe just like um, anything else. There's various kinds of grain and various um, levels of roast which affect the flavor. And you uh, create a mixture of that. You um, do what's called uh, – you basically steep it in warm water or hot water to, to get the starches to convert to sugars. 
Uh, then you boil it with the hops. You cool it down. You throw throw in uh, yeast. The yeast does all the work, and two or three weeks later, you have beer that just has to be carbonated. So that's the process in a nutshell. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I was wondering. I hear about these people making beer and, and these different things, and I was wondering what in the world. How are they doing it? So that that gives a little bit of an insight. Now, um, when it comes to like your your daily mode of operation, I mean, are you what time do you go to bed? What time do you get up? How much sleep does it take for you to operate? I try. I get about seven hours a day of sleep. Um, I try to get to bed about um, nine thirty, and then I get up about four thirty. Uh, and and I get up that early because my daughter tends to get up at about seven, and so I've got a lot of things I want to uh, check off and get done before then. Uh, meditation. Um, it, the only way I'll get a workout in is if I do it in the morning. Uh, but then I also try to do. Uh, the non uh, non sexy parts of being a business owner, um, the the mundane marketing tasks and things like that that are easy to let go. I try to get all that done before my daughter wakes up in the morning, so that uh, it's kind of been checked off of my uh, to do list. Very good. Now, let me ask you this: When you first wake up, are you one of those kind of guys that like looks at your phone and looks at the emails that are in the queue, or do you put that aside until uh, you get you know maybe past seven o'clock when your daughter wakes up? Uh, well, I mean, luckily I, I don't have a lot of right now, at least I'm not at a place where I tend to be getting a lot of really late night emails. Um, in my, in my work, sometimes I do. And if I have a case against folks out in California on, on the other side, they will often be sending me things late. Um, and often after I've gone to bed, but you know, normally I don't have anything that's crucial that comes in overnight. So I, I just let it sit. Um, I might take a look and see what it is, but I rarely do anything about it. Um, you know, again, I, I meditate, I get, uh, my extra or my uh, workout in, and then I might deal with it at that point. Okay. All right. You know, one of the interesting things I had, uh, John Dumas on our show, uh, maybe six or eight weeks ago. And one of the things that he had kind of talked about is, uh, OPA, other people's agenda. And mm-hmm. he just said that, Hey, in the morning, whenever he's doing his, uh, meditation, his exercise, those kind of things. And I don't remember the exact time. I think it's about nine or 10 in the morning, but until nine or 10 in the morning, he doesn't worry about other people's agenda. He just worries about JLD's agenda and puts everything off until that time comes so that he's not thinking and processing through all this stuff that it's going to get handled at some point. Why, you know, bog yourself down in the morning. And that's another one of those things where I'm not great at it. You know, I've got it on the uh, agenda, if you will, to, to slowly start taking some of those things off my schedule. And it's, it's like a habit, like anything else, you know, it's, it's, uh, you want to see what's in your phone or I do anyway. So it's kind of, (laughs) kind of a tough deal. Well, you know, as we get down, kind of winding down to the end of the show, uh, talk about stuff that's fun. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, where you got married, but what, where's your favorite place to go vacation? It's the place we got married, which is the Bahamas. Uh, and, and the reason is I'm on the East coast. It's a quick jaunt down there. Um, it's a beach environment. It's, it's a relaxing, calming place, which is, uh, kind of ideal for me. That's what I want in a vacation. I don't want to be going, going, going. I think part of that is because growing up, my vacations with my father was very much going, going, going. So I um, now enjoy just kind of taking the time off. So you know, we've been a lot of places in the Caribbean, but the Bahamas has has been my favorite um, just by the nature of, of the people that we've met and a lot of the fun we've had down there. Um, so that is definitely our favorite place to go. Um, you know, we, we spend actually quite a bit of time getting back down to Texas to spend with family. Um, and my family is mainly in Austin now. And then, uh, my wife, you know, we've been together since high school. Her, her family is actually still down in the Rio Grande Valley. So we will, um, go down there quite often. 
Okay. All right. Very good. And, and if our, our listeners, if they wanted to engage with you, maybe they've got a question as it relates to IP or, or maybe uh, they've got a, a, a situation on their hands and they, they need to get in touch with you. Um, what would your, what's the best way to communicate with your social? Are you out there on, on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and such? Where's the best way to get in touch with you? So uh, Facebook is the one uh, social media that I'm on that is personal only. I just don't really use it for business. But I'm on Twitter at Bobby Clink, and that's K-L-I-N-C-K. I'm, I'm pretty active there in um, uh, spreading information, not just about law, but about entrepreneurship and marketing and, and, and startups, et cetera. Um, you can also – I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me just uh, – it's Robert Clink, And then um, – you can also go to my website, which is clinkllc.com. Again, that's K-L-I-N-C-K and then LLC.com. There's uh, easy ways to contact me on there. But also I um, have actually a free uh, e-course that people can sign up for. So it's at clinkllc.com uh, forward slash podcast. And if you go there, there's a um, uh, you can sign up for a four-part email course about intellectual property planning if you're interested in that issue. And you'll get a series of emails where you get about a 10 or 15 minute video from me each day for four days. You'll also get a free copy of my book and then some other um, forms and checklists that you can use in the process. So those are the best ways for people to get in touch with me. Okay. And give me that website again. It was, it was Clink LLC. LLC. Yeah. So limited liability company. So it's clinkllc.com. And then the the special is is then forward slash podcast, and that's where you can get that uh, free e course. You know, uh, we've got just maybe another minute left on the show, and so if you've got a link that says forward slash podcast, I am assuming, and somehow I missed that in the research. You've got a podcast as well. No, I, I, I use that just for uh, folks who are, you know, when I'm on a podcast or radio interview, ah. I, I give that out for folks as a landing page to get to. Makes perfect sense. Well, uh, and I, I was thinking, man, how did I miss that if you got a <laughs> podcast? So, no, that makes perfect sense. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to that as well. So it's clinkllc.com forward slash podcast, and it'll have the offerings that you have for our listeners. And I appreciate you yep. uh, doing that for us. And as always, I, I want to thank you as a guest. I mean, it's 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 you guys that make this podcast possible and there's always tons of golden nuggets i'm scribble down notes every time of all the stuff that i learned so thank you for your time sir well thank you for having me it was a pleasure absolutely and also we want to thank our sponsors we couldn't do it without them uh, ambitious radio is so excited about all things that are going on tune in saturdays and where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs changing the faces of their organizations remember you can make money or you can make excuses but you cannot make both so go out there and be ambitious Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network, hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker. Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.